today on Ag News Daily. The work that we do within R&D um, through our strategic programming, um, we work to create and execute on our R&D internship program, um, and that helps lead to a positive internship experience um, that further enhances our early career strategy. Hey, listeners, welcome back to the Ag News Daily podcast, October 11th, 2023. Tanner and Delaney ready to bring some more headlines, probably just a couple of updates and hopefully some new ones today. Tanner, it's still a slower news week. Yeah, I think a lot of those ag journalists are also as busy in the field as we are. So we'll try to expand upon some of those topics and get you some information this morning. We have strong winds forecasted for a large chunk of central and western Nebraska, northwestern Kansas, northeastern Colorado. Several areas are gonna expect to see 25 to 35 mile per hour sustained gusts, but then having gusts of up to 60 miles per hour. Strong winds start Thursday, stick around through Friday. That produces red flag warnings for those that have extremely dry weather, especially in Kansas. The humidity is expected to drop to 11%. We here in Iowa, as we've been reporting on this week, have chances of rain that move in tonight and tomorrow. We'll continue to keep an eye on that as certain pockets are expected to receive more than an inch of rain delay. That's it for your weather headlines here, huh? That's what I've got. That's pretty short, but that's okay. We'll keep things moving here, Tanner, as... Tomorrow, we're expected to see the WASD report released at 11 a.m. Central Time, and the primary focus of tomorrow's report is going to be yield, for sure, because we're going to see corn and soybean production estimates reflected for the 23 growing season, Tanner. And now, we don't usually see the USDA adjust yield dramatically in this report, but who knows with USDA and whether or not they will reflect the variability that we've been seeing or hearing really from farmers in the fields about rainfall as well as potential yields that they're getting. As far as the average trade guess goes for tomorrow's report, the USDA is planning to modestly reduce its corn yield to a 173.5. That's down just three tenths of a bushel per acre compared to the September report. Soybeans, however, they're expecting to drop below 50 bushels per acre, the average trade guess coming in at 49.9 bushels per acre. Uh, So, of course, all bets are off when it comes to USDA. We'll see tomorrow what we actually see on that report. But as far as other reports go, Tanner, we, of course, saw the crop progress report coming out late this week, later this week than usual because of Columbus Day on Monday with the government reported, government closed. And as of October 8th, 89% of corn has matured and 34% of the crop has been harvested, up 23% compared to the week prior. 18% of the corn is in poor to very poor conditions, consistent with the week prior, 29% in fair condition, and 53% rated good to excellent. As far as soybeans go, soybean harvest is now 43% complete, up 23% from the week prior, and still well ahead of the five-year average. 18% of the crop is poor to very poor conditions, up one percentage point from last week, 
31% of soybeans are in the fair condition category and 51% of the crop is rated good to excellent, Tanner. So there's a little quick headline here for production numbers heading into tomorrow's WASDE report. Yeah, and I think after our conversation with Naomi on Saturday, we would have expected to see soybean crop progress as far as harvesting goes to be a little bit further ahead than what it actually is. So we'll see if that has anything to do with what we're watching this week. However, Iowa's had an exceptionally long period of dry weather ahead of these rains that are going to come at the end of the week. But that has now expanded the state to about 96% suffering some level of drought. The areas in east central Iowa that is suffering from the worst drought, exceptional drought, the worst dryness designation that there can be, has more than doubled in size over the last week. The U.S. Drought Monitor is or stating that these dry conditions were mostly unchanged throughout other areas except for that portion. As of Tuesday morning, the report did not indicate that the widespread rainfall earlier this fall had any reprieve. It states just kind of like our conversation with Eric Snodgrass about how sponge-like our soils are. Any rainfall that is going to hit will be soaked up. Last week, largely didn't see any rain, especially in the territory that borders Wisconsin and Illinois. The area there has received an average of 0.21 inches of precipitation, which is less, almost the lowest in 17 years. Exceptional drought is notably expanded in Benton County and Lynn County, with the worst designations touching the parts of eight other counties. So when you look at that map, Delaney, you look across the right-hand side or the eastern side of the state, and it is significantly red with that dark maroon color hitting right there in east central Iowa. Like I said, every county, though, in the state is shaded in some form of drought. Yeah, that does not surprise me, Sharon. I've been seeing some of those reports as well. But switching tracks here to some international news as we continue to get headlines out about the Israeli strike there that's been committed by the Hamas group, a Palestinian militant, anti-militant group. Tanner, we are seeing mixed reviews as far as what analysts are expecting to have happen here. A lot of folks on Wall Street are thinking this is just a short-term blip, a short-term uh, attack here. But I think news and headlines might be counteracting that or going against that grain as we're continuing to see here a continuing number of hammering airstrikes along the Gaza Strip. Uh, a recent airstrike has killed over a thousand people, according to Palestinian officials. And a lot of folks are declaring this a humanitarian crisis. The UK Foreign Secretary has just arrived in Israel, James Cleverly, and he will be going on ground there to assess the damage, Tanner, to see really what's going on there. Um, as I mentioned, the death toll really has increased as we've been reporting and following it here. And the Israeli military has called up 300,000 reservists to fight. And for those not familiar with the Israeli military, I believe every, I think it's 18 is the age, but uh, every male citizen must serve in the Israeli army. So it sounds like now some of those folks are getting called back to potentially fight or be prepared to fight for 
this ongoing battle here, Tanner. And of course, as we've been talking, a lot of folks are curious how this is going to impact the fertilizer market amongst other things. And fertilizer makers are having surging concerns about potential supply for especially potash, as we reported yesterday, that they are the fourth largest country to produce potash. Fertilizer manufacturers have experienced a significant uptick in their stock prices following this attack by the Hamas group on Israel, which has also forced concerns about potential impact of the conflict on global fertilizer prices after we've seen fertilizer prices really come back down and hold steady here. This conflict has the potential, Tanner, to turn things back around and fairly quickly. The disruption has placed approximately 3% of the world's potash supply at a potential risk. So I know that's not a huge amount because, of course, Canada and Russia and a few other countries are more major suppliers of potash to the world market. But the other thing to keep in mind here is if Iran, who is a major major producer of nitrogen, becomes involved in the conflict, it could lead to further supply constraints and potential price spikes for nitrogen-based fertilizers, Tanner. Yeah, that is one of the bigger headlines that we're going to keep an eye on. Just to add some updates, there's more than 1,200 people estimated killed uh, on the Israeli side and more than 1,055 people on the Palestinian side uh, continuing to keep those death tolls in mind as there's still been airstrikes hitting the Gaza Strip. Uh, Reporters have confirmed videos of missile interceptions happening above their interview spots. The humanitarian crisis is now providing a opportunity for those that are looking to give to provide support because now hundreds of thousands are displaced and potentially could be without power and natural resources as far as clean drinking water within a couple of days just due to the strikes. President Joe Biden called this an act of sheer evil, confirmed that 14 Americans have been reported killed and others are still held captive in that area. So he's working with them. Up to 150 hostages of the Americans are uh, especially being reported right now. So he's been noted here that he will continue to work upon negotiations there to protect the U.S. side of this. But moving on to my next headline, wanted to continue to discuss beef. As I reported yesterday, the projection of the beef herd being much smaller in 2025, the significant drop in those patterns are going to create issues. Right now, the U.S. exported equivalent of about 12.5% of its beef production. That is roughly 12%. That is a number relative to the amount as far as production goes overall. So if production drops as low as they are expecting in 2025, we could see trade numbers increasing, but those percentages, Delaney, don't mean that the tons or the pounds are actually going up. It's just a a higher percentage of lower production. So if trade patterns continue to stay where they they are at, we're looking at U.S. exports uh, this year dropping 14%. So we've already got lower figures coming in for 2023 as we look through the first two quarters. 
beef production itself was down 4%. So it's not necessarily supply that is causing the issue of those exports to lower Delaney because as we look at things, having 14% less exports and only 4% less production, that's creating an issue. Three of the largest designations for exported beef, South Korea, Japan, and China, are all relationships that have been strained in the last 12 months. We'll continue to keep an eye on those. And I will see if I can dig up a little bit more on that trade relationship with China to report to our listeners. Wonderful. Well, Tanner, I think then the final headline I have you've not touched on yet is the testimony and hearing for Summit Carbon Solutions. As That's going to continue to get dragged out here, it sounds like, Tanner. We are now in the seventh week of hearings or testimony for the hearing here in Fort Dodge, Iowa, and it sounds like it's going to be extended until November. The evidentiary hearing was expected to conclude this week, but now, according to the chairperson of the Iowa Utilities Board, Eric Helen, he's saying that it's going to conclude this week, but going to resume again, and likely not until November, Tanner. So this is certainly getting dragged out here as the board had initially intended to conclude after just six weeks and reserved the venue in Fort Dodge for just that length of time. Hence why we don't know necessarily when this is going to pick back up as I think they're waiting to clear up a few logistical details there. But of course, uh, landowners are not very happy about this short notice as folks are still in harvest season full swing here and many landowners are still scheduled to testify and may not be able to make it because of um, because of obviously harvest going on. So they're trying to get creative as far as how they're going to do that. Some are apparently testifying remotely via video conference from the cab of their tractor or combine tanner. Uh, so it's an interesting, interesting uh, prod- problem to have, to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. I did find an update coming from China's Commerce Minister Wang yesterday. He voiced concerns regarding American restrictions on trade and technology. So he had a meeting with U.S. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in Beijing. And according to the statement put out in the Chinese Ministry of Commerce, stated that there is a rational and pragmatic need for the U.S. to precisely define its security boundaries and avoid overgeneralizing and politicizing security issues. This is refraining from weaponizing e-commerce and should not hinder trade activities with China. So it looks like as those two have had their conversations, the emphasis is on fair treatment to Chinese companies that invested in U.S., stating that competition should be based upon international and economic trade rules and not those that are assumed by the United States. So Schumer expressed to Washington when he was able to provide his feedback, stated that they need to strengthen their communication and exchanges, be very clear and concise with what they're expecting. This could be a bilateral economic relationship and emphasized decoupling from standard discussions and creating the opportunity to have open and honest communication. So looks like there is some conversation in the works to get a perspective from China, but we'll keep an eye on what that trade relationship continues to do. But that's what I've got for headlines today. Is it time to see where markets open? 
It certainly is, Sanders. I don't have any additional headlines myself, but as we head into tomorrow's WASD report, overnights were trading a little bit higher, but here as we get closer to the open, uh, things are starting to shore back up and even head into negative territory. December corn down three quarters of a cent at 484 and three quarters. Nove beans down four pennies in the overnight at 1267 and a half. December wheat down five and a half cents in the overnight will open at 553. December hard red winter wheat down six and a half cents at 664 and a half. And December spring wheat down three and a quarter at 720 and a quarter. As we take a look at where livestock closed yesterday, December live cattle shed 35 cents. We'll open this morning at a buck 85. November feeder cattle added 70 cents to open this morning at 250.35. And December lean hogs shed $1.05 yesterday. We'll open this morning at 71.42 and a half. Tanner, we are chatting today, or I chatted today with Corteva AgriScience to talk about a youth mentorship program they have for high school and college students. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Well, engaging young folks in agriculture, I think, is certainly humbling and probably challenging and fun work. And we're chatting today with Tia O'Brien, the R&D Academic Engagement Program Leader for Corteva AgriScience. Tia, thanks so much for joining today. Thanks so much for having me, Delaney. So Tia, before we dig into really what you do day to day as the Academic Engagement Program Leader, talk to us a little bit about your background and how you found yourself in this role. Sure. Um, So I have been with Corteva AgriScience for the past 13 years. I'm based here in Johnston, Iowa, and um, I joined the company as an admin assistant. And from there, um, got involved in meetings and events and um, executing on those. And um, uh, earlier this year, I became uh, the R&D Academic Engagement Program Leader. Um, we have a couple of different programs that I help to execute and lead the team on. And so, yeah, for the past 13 years, it's been uh, a fun and, um, and uh, exciting ride. Well, I'm excited to learn more about the academic academic engagement that you do. So talk to us a little bit about what is the program geared to do and why did it come to fruition? Sure. Um, so I lead a very talented team within research and development that interfaces with students, universities, and external organizations. Um, and we showcase Corteva the work that we do within R&D um, through our strategic programming. Um, We work to create and execute on our R&D internship program, um, and that helps lead to a positive internship experience um, that further enhances our early career strategy. We also build relationships with professional development associations and societies in order to grow partnerships. Um, And we have a couple of different programs that Jason Rauscher, academic relations manager on my team, um, has been organizing for the past couple of years, um, one of which is New Frontiers in Science. And that is kind of aimed at bringing 
um, together experts in um, science together, both internal and external. We also have been operating a longstanding um, program called the Symposia Series, where we partner with universities um, to empower students to put together a program on a topic or theme of their choice. Um, another exciting program that we started in 2019, I believe, is the Developing Emerging Leaders in Talent and Agriculture program. Um, and um, that first started virtually, um, and then we had an in-person symposium in Indianapolis. And then this year, we had two in-person symposiums, one in Johnston, Iowa, and one in Indianapolis, Indiana. It certainly sounds like you stay busy with all of these different projects that are going on. We certainly do, uh, but it's fun and exciting um, and extremely important work. Well, let's dig into why it's so extremely important, because when you think of Corteva, you think of genetics, you might think of different product lineups, but you don't necessarily think about engaging that next generation of students in the workplace. What made Corteva decide to branch out into this area? Um, so we are committed to nurturing the next generation of ag leaders, um, and we provide students with valuable opportunities to explore and contribute to the ag industry. Um, and, and the programs that we um, set up, especially the internship program, um, which our university relations team um, puts together and we provide supplemented supplemental programming for um, equips our um, students and interns with skills and knowledge to um, address the global ag cha challenges that we have. Um, so yeah. Awesome. Well, that's really exciting stuff. And I'm sure it's very rewarding for you as well to get to work with these young folks and see just the extreme talent I'm sure we have coming up in the industry. Do you have any specific examples of students that have really stood out to you or just you know, inspiration that you've seen, wow, this is really kind of putting it for full circle for me. I'm seeing what we've done, but now also how that's paying off with a student maybe transitioning into their career, going through either an internship or some of the programs you mentioned, and then now where they're at today. Sure. Um, so our internship program um, affords the, the students who come through that program the opportunity to first have fun. Um, so we organize social outings for them. Um, we have put together baseball outings for them, um, group barbecues in Indianapolis and in Johnston. This year we celebrated National Intern Day with an ice cream social um, the internship pro program also affords them development opportunities. Um, one of the cool things that our Indianapolis interns experienced in 2023 was a, an exchange with interns with um, at the zoo. And so um, zoo interns came to Corteva for about half a day for site learning on what a scientist, mostly biologist, might do here at Corteva. And then Corteva interns spent about half a day at the Indianapolis Zoo learning about what a scientist there might do. Um, the interns have access to exclusive tours. We arrange field trips to production sites. We um, show the, showcase our internal labs. Um, they have the opportunity to walk through those spaces, learn about what the different groups do in those spaces. Um, networking opportunities, which are invaluable. Um, we do organized speed networking activity 
um, activities, but but they also, you know, have informal lunches and hallway conversations and experiences working alongside professionals in the labs and in the fields. Um, so so that's really important, you know, just having that access to um, scientists and professionals that are already in the industry um, is invaluable. And then um, the culmination of the experience, the internship, um, which lasts anywhere from three to six months, um, is brought together by a final presentation at, and or an opportunity to present their research work, the work that they spent doing over the summer um, in the form of a poster. Um, and so that's really a proud moment to just kind of see all of the work that they had been um, spending their days doing during the summer uh, in a final presentation or on a poster, standing there, honing their presentation skills, um, giving, um, answering questions, presenting the information. Um, and, and in some cases, these internships have led to even full-time um, employment here at Corteva uh, after, after they have gone through the internship program. So um, it's really full circle and uh, exciting to see, you know, them here as students just kind of navigate uh, this big company here at Corteva kind of learn how to um, go from uh, being in academia and being students and then uh, eventually joining the the professional um, professional uh, you know employment uh, arena. When students are picking their summer projects like that, what are some of the areas that they're focused on? Sure. So we offer lab-based internship um, opportunities, um, you know, analytical chemistry, organic chemistry, um, environmental science, and um, even even areas that you wouldn't think that the ag industry has, computer science, data science, um, software engineering. Um, we also have uh, field research-based internship opportunities. So people with backgrounds in agronomy, plant physiology, plant pathology. Um, there really is a, a wide range of disciplines that um, we offer internships for. Well, that sounds exciting. Uh, if any of our listeners have questions about some of the programs or the internships you've mentioned, what's the best place to go to find more information? Sure. Well, it's in a very exciting time right now because we are actively recruiting for our 2024 interns um, and internships are posted at careers.corteva.com. Um, if you'd like to learn more about Corteva, our website is corteva.com. And then also you can follow and connect with us on all the social media channels that we have, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn. Fantastic. Well, Tia, thanks so much for chatting a little bit today about how you're working to shape young people's minds and give them opportunities in Corteva's environment and uh, wish you the best on these future programs. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Delaney. Well, it's good to see large ag companies working towards providing the youth, those that are the future of agriculture opportunities to learn. So thanks for doing that interview, Delaney. We also thank our listeners for hanging out with us, sticking around for another episode. We've got a couple more this week, so they should come back, right? Absolutely. Sandra, we've got some really great content lined up for the rest of this week. So be sure to hit subscribe so you get notified when the new podcasts drop each week, Tanner. Each day, each week. Jeez. I think I need a break. I need to go get some more coffee. So what do you say we let the folks go? Let's let them go.